depressed. Use active voice. No. The passive bo- voice will be used by me. I, I don't think I can do this entire it's episode not just, in passive voice. It's, it's not just <laughs> passive, but in this sense, it is also passive-aggressive. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so Ben has given up on doing right. the entire episode in passive voice. Thank God. <laughs> Everyone's given up tonight. Yeah, this is this is the passive voice will be used by me as many times as possible, though. You're not even. I can't even call you Yoda because you're not even as charming as little green Muppets. I don't think anyone has ever called me charming. That's kind of sad. <laughs> hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson, Mister. Passive voice, passive aggressive Ben Bromley, and we are joined tonight by Leanne Elston. We are all from BlackAndRedUnited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, MLS in general, and occasionally other stuff, but mostly just the soccer. We've got a good show for you tonight. Even though we are all personally giving up, DC United is doing pretty well. Uh, not so much in the Champions League, but they opened their MLS campaign with a win this weekend. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the U.S. women's national team who are playing in the Algarve Cup right now. Um, did I pronounce that right? I've only ever actually seen it written down. I'm not sure. I always just say Algarve, but it probably is Algarve. I, 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 don't, know. Know, I don't know Portuguese well enough to tell you, Neither especially Portugal Portuguese. I know even less we are really, really holding up our end of the bargain with the listeners right now. We are experts on this subject, clearly. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to look around MLS in general. Before we do any of that, Leanne, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking, um, first of all, I'm very classy. I'm drinking Trader Joe's Three Buck Chuck. I think it's Pinot. Pinot Grigio. Yeah. All right. No nice more. I have no money, so it was three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also drinking a a relative bargain white wine Chateau Saint Michel, um, out of the Pacific Northwest um, Chardonnay because that's what my wife got for dinner, and there was some left in the bottle, so I just kept drinking it coming into the show. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, sometimes. Uh... A beer will throw together um, a lot of notes that don't sound like they're going to make sense, but they somehow come together. Um, I have uh, Goose Island's uh, 2014 version of Sophie. They did a lot of beers last year, which had uh, a woman's name. Um, Sophie is a Belgian-style farmhouse uh, ale. Um, the bottle says you're going to get uh, orange peel, uh, vanilla, and white peppercorns. Um, okay. Sounds a little excessive. The the peppercorn, uh, the white pepper, is something I, I was interested in. I really love that in any sort of stir fry, uh, almost to the point of kind of overdoing it. <laughs> and by that I mean I'm definitely overdoing it. Um, and there the notes are there, but it's definitely not overpowering. Sometimes you get a beer that has peppercorn in it, and it's like this is maybe someone went a little too far, like I do with the stir fry. Um, whoever did this had a, a measured and steady hand, and and it's it's pretty good. I, I'm impressed. I'm actually a little disappointed. I was hoping you were going to say sometimes brewers will will try a lot of disparate notes that don't seem like they go well together, and they do. This Alchemy. is not one of those beers. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to be disappointed and have a hilarious story about how bad your beer was and how ambitious and great it could have been. But no, nope. 
You, so you were hoping that my night was going poorly, is what you're saying? Uh, for my for my entertainment, yes. Yeah. Okay. If Too it bad. means I'm entertained. Now if you're not, the one I got disappointed. It's really true, isn't it? <laughs> ben, what are you drinking? So my beloved William and Mary tribe are playing in the finals of the CAA tournament tonight, and they're losing right now, which is sad. Uh, they're one guys. Of the... Do you hear a voice talking? I, I, I feel like there's a voice happening. What? I was making fun of your little oh. college t- basketball team. Oh, okay. Well, at least our college basketball coach doesn't have a hilariously bad comb over. I mean, I know he's not the coach anymore, but... And he doesn't have the comb over anymore. Okay, well, he had a hilariously bad comb over. Yes, we're talking about Jim Katie. And he was also a fantastic coach. Yeah, but Indiana was better. Eh. My college basketball <laughs> team is in the top ten. Right Regardless, now. my college, my favorite college <laughs> basketball team has never made the NCAA yes, tournament. That's true. They're one of only five teams that have been in Division One since Division One was founded that have never done it. And the, haven't they come close a lot of times recently as well? For the second year in a row, they're in yeah, the CAA finals right now. I, yeah, I was on this podcast. Yes, this happened last year. This exact, yep. this exact same situation last year. So, the, yeah, they're so down, are they going to do it this year? They're down by our Okay, go ahead. They're down by eight right now. So, in honor of them, I am drinking a colonial era drink that was featured that was prominent in Williamsburg. It is called a Rattle Skull, which is an awesome name. It is very metal. Yes, it is port. It is porter in my case, Star Hill, uh, a Star Hill porter, rum, lime juice, and nutmeg. That sounds very okay. colonial. It is very colonial. Yeah. So the name is not very colonial. No, but that's what they called it in colonial times. So to you, William and Mary, I toast this drink. Uh, for our listeners, Ben is wearing a William and Mary colored tie dye shirt uh, to show his support. It, it has a logo of some kind of a basketball. He's trying to show it to us, but that oh, it has a basketball. It has so a know. basketball on it, and it says "One Tribe William and Mary Basketball" on oh. it. I I was hoping you were going to say it has a basketball on it, and it says "Basketball." <laughs> <laughs> Shall we then with the soccer? We shall then with the soccer. Let's shall then with the soccer. DC United uh, had a couple of wins this week. A uh, much better week than than last time we we had a show. Uh, two to one against Alajuelense, which was not quite enough to close the the three goal gap uh, that that LDA opened up in Costa Rica, and so DC United went out six to four on aggregate, but they got the Nominal win anyway, and then one to nothing over the Montreal Impact to open league play. Um, I figured we can talk about these two games together since there actually are some really similar notes between the two. Foremost among those is Jairo Arrieta, who scored in each of the two games, uh, opening the scoring in both. Uh, Jason, did you figure that he would come on this strongly this quickly? Uh, well, I, I did think that playing in a two-forward setup was going to benefit him. Um, in Columbus, he's been playing uh, in a 4-2-3-1 for a while. That Even before Greg Berhalter came aboard, that's what was being played there before. Um, it's not really a good system for him. He needs somebody closer to him to combine with than uh, having no other strike partner. Um, he's decent with his back to goal, but he's not a big guy, so he's not going to... He's decent for someone that size. I guess you have to qual- add the qualifier. Um, so that I think the system helps him quite a bit. He seems a little more 
he seems rejuvenated, which is nice. Um, sometimes you need a change of scenery. I think that's something that he definitely needed. Um, and I, I think it helps that he scored some goals in the preseason. I think he's he looks a little more confident, not just from the change of scenery, but because he's seen the ball go in the back of the net a couple of times now. Um, so I, I think that's helping quite a bit. Um, I think maybe United plays a little more um, with an attitude that he likes. Columbus doesn't necessarily play um, – they don't necessarily want to play chip-on-their-shoulder soccer. Um, they want to be a little more controlled and composed, uh, not just stylistically, but in terms of the, the tone of the team. They don't want a lot of guys playing with a little angry. Um, ben Olsen wants his team to play with a little anger, and, and Arietta has maybe a little more than a little anger. Um, so I think that helps him quite a bit. Um, so overall, uh, I think I'm a little surprised it's gone this well, but it's not. it's not like... You know, out of the clear blue sky, Jairo Arrieta has suddenly turned into uh, a great player. It's just he's he's in a better place, I think, for him uh, overall, and I, I think it's showing. Yeah, I think that's right, and we're going to need him to keep up this kind of form with Fabian Spindola, another guy known for having a chip on his shoulder, out for right. now the next five games. One game down, five games to go. Uh, Chris Pontius is who Arrieta partnered up top this time. Uh, he, he partnered a Spindola, or... Yes. Yeah, partner to Spindola in the Champions League game, partnered Pontius uh, on Saturday. And he actually very nearly set Pontius up with a couple of goals. In the first half, Arietta's pressure created a turnover, and Pontius dragged his shot. He, he, had to, he still had plenty of work to do and ended up dragging his shot a little bit wide. And then later in the second half, uh, Arietta with a really nice kind of almost overhead chip over his own head, to Pontius, uh, who chested it down pretty nicely in stride and and put a shot just off the bottom of the crossbar. It bounced out, and Evan Bush was able to get to it. Uh, Leanne, do you think Pontius, obviously he, he thinks he should have put those away. Do you think there's anything to worry about with his outside of the first goal of preseason? He hasn't really had the scoring touch yet in 2015. Yeah, I don't think, I wouldn't say there's something to worry about yet. I think there's been... Okay, two games, but one game of the MLS season, so I'm not like, you know, I, I'm not too too worried yet. I think we saw flashes of Pontius that the Pontius that we like, the Pontius that can score goals and can be really, really successful. Um, it was frustrating to kind of see that and then not see anything come out of it, but I don't think I'm not worried yet. I think if he kind of doesn't make some headway here, especially now that he has the chance to be up top since Bobby's out, um, if he doesn't score a goal here soon, I might be a little bit worried, but. I think for now, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm willing to like give him a couple games. Yeah, I remember early in Pontius's career, he was the guy who would get himself into position and then would miss the finish. He would do all the hard work and then blow the finish. And then for his best 11 year, he had the best conversion rate of right. big chances among anybody in MLS. I think this is a sharpness issue for him, and the fact that he's getting into positions is the most important thing to worry about right now, and he's doing that. When I was a little surprised to not see the Pontius special, his cutback, especially on that first chance that he had, that he rolled wide, I thought that was a prime opportunity for him to do his signature cutback, and the fact that he didn't... I, I, yeah, I think it's a confidence issue, like you, sa- like you said. I think once he gets going, he's going he's gonna to do that, and it's going to work out well. Yeah, that, that one wasn't necessarily a textbook opportunity to do the Pontius special, because he was... The direction he was going and where the defender was, he wasn't running at the defender. The defender was running with him. But it would have been nice to see him try something there other than just the, the desperation, weak, left-footed shot. 
uh, at nothing in particular. The defense did step up in these two games, though. The one goal allowed was a deflected shot off of the thigh of Chris Korb after everyone was caught upfield on a set-piece opportunity, I think it was. And mm-hmm. Alohalense uh, got down the field quickly and, and worked the numbers and managed to basically poach a goal that they really maybe didn't deserve in that game. Um, but that's the only blemish at RFK by the defense this year. Ben, after that debacle in Costa Rica, uh, is how would you characterize the relief you're feeling right now to see Steve Birnbaum and Bobby Boswell step up? Oh, yeah, it's it's amazing to see them uh, back on the same page that they were at the end of uh, last season. I mean, Boswell coming back to being solid, uh, you kind of expect that. His game was never really built on speed, not recently at least. And so his athleticism, his, it's his, it's not his athleticism, it's his, his soccer intelligence that uh, keeps him going. And so you don't lose that that quickly. Uh, but Burnbaum being able to step up and just intercept everything, uh, that's what he was doing at his best last season. Uh, and that's what he started to do again, especially in this uh, game against Montreal. So if they're already back, getting back into this partnership, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, it's nice to see Burnbaum take on even more of a cerebral aspect. His reading of the game, I think, has been pretty great, especially against Montreal. Um, Piatti was able to get nothing past him, and it was nice. And Leanne, I know there's something you're wanting to yell right now that we're talking about Steve Burnbaum, so so get it off your chest. Do what you gotta Hashtag do. Burnbaum! I kept so I have to say that at the Alcantara game and at the game on Saturday, I, every time Burnbaum like had the ball, I just yelled Burnbaum, like hoping that it would catch on. <laughs> I don't think it worked. I don't think anybody like realized what I was yelling. They just thought I was yelling his name, which is kind of like the point. So that's what it sounds like. But hashtag Birdbomb, make it a thing. I'm working on it. It's, it, it's a thing. It's a thing on Twitter. Let's be honest. Uh, another defender who who was shown well in these last couple games, deflected goal off his thigh aside, is Chris Korb, who essentially came in cold for, for Taylor Kemp, who was a last-minute scratchy. He pulled a groin or, or had some other kind of groin injury in uh, warm-ups, essentially, for Alohalense. And so Chris Korb stayed out when the rest of the team went to the locker room to get loosened up, and he, he's played all 90 minutes in both games this week. Jason, how, how would you rate Corb's performance? Uh, well, well what, what I will, I, I guess, add, first of all, to the bit about the warm-up, um, there's a different warm-up for starters and for backup mm-hmm. players. Um, and the backup warm-up is not nearly as uh, intensive, and it doesn't get you ready to play 90 minutes. And so there's a reason why Corb had to stay out, ex- do, do what seems like extra work. It was actually so that he could actually play the game without getting hurt. Um, I thought against Alo Valencia he he wasn't spectacular by any means. Um, I thought we still struggled a little bit with the speed of play that they they came at us with. Um, it also you know the fact that there was so much of a focus on going forward um, left them a little more exposed at the back. And so he, there were a couple times where he wasn't at his best, but it wasn't a bad performance by any means, especially given that uh, it was sort of thrown at him at the last second. You're going to have to start this game. Um, as far as uh, the game against Montreal, I thought he did uh, pretty well. Um, Justin Mapp 
only really had a couple of runs in the second half. Um, obviously, the one ended with a, a pretty gruesome uh, injury, the dislocated elbow that you don't really want it to happen to anyone. Right. Thankfully, um, I, I will say, thankfully, dislocated elbow, as gruesome and horrible as it is, especially to look at, it is not mm-hmm. an injury you want to see with your eyes ever. Right. Um, it actually has a pretty quick timetable. He should be back in inside of two months, assuming it was a clean dislocation and there's not a lot of right. shrapnel in there. Um, right. He should be back on the field relatively quickly compared to the fact his elbow, his his forearm was no longer connected to the rest of him. Right. Um, and, and but but Map is a tough matchup for a fullback because Montreal, out of a four-two-three-one, their wingers have a little more freedom to attack than a, a normal wide man in MLS has. And Map is a particularly dangerous last year, and and he looks to have carried that over in the Champions League. He's looked good. Um, and he didn't really get. And part of that too was that United did a good job on Piatti, so that. The supply wasn't there for Matt. He he was having to get the ball while he was standing still, which is always big. Um, but Corb still didn't let that turn into anything. Um, and Matt is skillful enough where even if he gets the ball from a a, a a completely still start, he can he can make something happen there. Um, I was surprised a little bit that Montreal didn't switch um Matt and Duca at any point to try and just to see if a different look would happen because it wasn't like they created very much the entire match. Um, it just seems sort of like they were happy with how things were, even though things weren't very good. Um, but uh, I wait, guess you're the, surprised it, Frank Klopas didn't do something you would have expected a coach to do? I mean, <laughs> after after they they managed to have a smart strategy against Pachuca, um, I thought you know may, maybe I was fooled by you know diminishing or not diminishing returns. Small sample size is the term mm-hmm. I want. Um, I haven't had dinner, so this this beer is going to hit me. Um, <laughs> but uh. You know, I, I thought maybe he would he would observe the fact that his team was just not creating anything and try and change that, but I guess not. Um, but uh, I, I guess the issue that I worry about with Corb is is actually an attacking one. Um, without Espindola, United needs a little a little more from the rest of the team attack wise, and Taylor Kemp provides the width and the crossing ability that Corb just cannot provide. Um, Corb does the defensive stuff very well, and he's always willing a willing runner. And we saw him get into some good – he always gets into good spots. He got into some good spots against Montreal where uh, he was in a position to either take a good first touch and go around his man, or um, he was in space where he could have crossed, and everyone in the stadium knew that he wasn't about to cross the ball, or that if he was going to cross the ball, it was not going to be a good cross. Um, he's not a left-footed left back, and even on his right, he's just not – it's just not something he's good at. Um, I don't know how much he practices his crossing – um, I don't know that there's any amount that's going to fix this. Um, he's going to be a defense-first, hard-working fullback rather than a modern, overlapping threat who constantly creates danger. Uh, well, from he's a wing. supporting fullback. He's He yeah. can get end-line to end-line. He can overlap, but it's to support and then work the ball back into the middle, not to just crumb, typically. And, and the issue there is that... The modern game. Right, but he he he's a supporting fullback out of necessity rather than out of choice. Um, because everyone knows he's not going to be able to do that other stuff that would make him, you know, that would elevate his game a little more. Um, and as long as Kemp is out, we're going to have to find some other source of um width uh and and just that general that extra element in the attack where teams are waiting for that and they know that that's there as well. Teams know that when Kemp comes forward or when Corb comes forward, 
the end result is not going to be a particularly dangerous cross um, 99 times out of 100. And so they don't have to worry about it, and so it, it eases, it makes their decision process a lot easier. It streamlines it. Um, whereas when Kemp comes forward, teams have to account for the fact that he can put a ball where he wants it when he hits a cross, and he knows it, and he's going to hit in spots where that happens. Um, so, so it's not it's not necessarily a problem. I mean, Corb is who he's going to be. Um, he's the finished product at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone else on United's attack, especially against um, some smarter teams, and we have what I would call smarter teams coming up in New York and L.A., um, against those teams, someone else is going to have to add something else to the attack. We're going to have to have a little more um, to create the circumstances where we're more than likely to score one goal because in those games, one goal might not be enough, especially uh, home against L.A., who who look uh, like L.A., you, like pretty much like you would expect. So um, I, I guess overall I would say satisfied with Core, but also knowing that um, at this point his role as backup fullback is perfectly suited for him, which means that when we play a back, backup fullback, something else has to be going on. Someone else has to make an adjustment somewhere else on the field, whether it's I, – I would like to see Franklin um, – get forward, actually. Um, that's something that he used to do a little more, and here he's a little more stay-at-home. Um, somewhere mm-hmm. the width, there has to be width somewhere from the attack, and we know it's not going to be Corb, so the question I have is, I guess, where is it going to come from? I have, I have, a, weird, well, I have a weird rules question real quick. Mm-hmm. So, I, so last year, I know that after the lineup was announced in a Richmond game, somebody mm-hmm. got injured. And they had to make, they had to use one of their subs to sub out the injured person, even though he was injured before the game started. Okay. Is that, um, do MLS refs just not care about that until the game starts? Yeah, was the actually, USL ref just really hard ass about his interpretation? No, no. Uh, um, the USL's rules are just old, basically. Um, that mm-hmm. happened in MLS years ago. And it was on, I can't remember the teams, but it happened and it was like a national televised game and it was like, this is ridiculous. Everyone agreed on, every, everyone involved was like, this is stupid. There's no reason that it, that the team can't just play with six men on the bench and not burn a sub because it, the game hasn't started yet. You haven't used a sub if the game hasn't, if the, there hasn't been a kickoff, you can't have used the sub yet. Right. Um, so there's no reason for it to work like that. Um, the USL decision and, and this happened last year, you're saying? Yes, this past season. All right. There's there's no reason for that. That's just absurd. Yeah. Um, I can see the argument why you wouldn't want to let a team announce its starting lineup and then move somebody to the bench and put a bench player in. But if someone's injured right. and taken out of the game entirely, there's yes. no reason to charge um, a sub because they're not gaming the system at that point. Right. They're no, giving right. up. They're they um, already have a disadvantage. I agree. It's dumb. I was just yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that yeah. this happened a few uh, years ago, and I, I think there was just no existing rule, and the referee had to make something up on the spot. And then later it was like, all right, that that's ridiculous. We can't do have this. So now it's you know you either play short or if you're if you're the home team, I suppose you could call uh, the players box and tell someone to get down to the locker room and uh, change out of their street clothes. Call them um, Martin. Get dressed. Right. Um. You know, Luke Nishu got to sit the bench this weekend, but he knew that I assume coming in because Kemp was not in the squad. Right. Um. From the start, but maybe you know for the Champions League, maybe they say you know you. You have to submit your 18 and that's it. And I can understand that because then, you know, you don't want a bunch of people, you know, teams saying, oh, this guy's hurting at the last second they add them in as a sub or whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, there's no reason when, before the game is kicked off, it can't be a substitution. <laughs> there is Definitely. No, in, U- in USL, it can. 
Well, the USL is a strange beast. Um, they also you, allow you five, may, they also allow five subs, so it kind of balances out. Right, and you may find yourself playing Friday and Sunday, um, or Friday and Saturday on the, kick, on the road. The, kick, the kickers only have one of those this year, which is a massive improvement. <laughs> well, that's well, that's I mean, that's part of uh, the benefit of having they only have uh, any of those this year. The, the influx of teams and, and the division uh, of. Yes. Um, you know, no longer having to go out west and just play the OC Blues two nights in a row so that you can get your games against them out of the way. Or, um, because yeah. that's how you save money. Or travel to Antigua and play two games against Antigua in a weekend. That's, yeah. I mean, that's why Antigua was always so bad in the USL, because they would have to come to the U.S. for like a month and just play road games and get, you know, demolished and then return home and recover. All right, one last thing about DC United that I want to talk about before we... We Wait, move on. And you, you, is, you don't want to talk about the minutiae of substitution rules anymore? And, and in a league that is not MLS? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> we cover the kickers. That's that's true. But I want to talk about Connor Doyle for a minute. He came in as a sub in both of these games and uh, actually had an impact in both of them. He sent in the pass that, that Michael Farfan drew the penalty on. So he, yeah. he got into space on the left and sent in a, a low cross to Farfan, who won the ball at the near post and got taken down from behind. Really obvious penalty against Alaphalense. And then against Montreal, he managed to get back and get on the goal line and, and take a ball off the shoulder area and then make a 70-yard sprint to give Bill Hamid an outlet afterwards. Um, just Obviously, he's, he's no, no more than a sub for DC United right now. Um, but he is making the most of his minutes out there. Leanne, do you have any other thoughts on Connor Doyle or DC United before we turn our attention to Jill Ellis and the national uh, the national team? I have one thought about Connor Doyle, which is that I love Connor Doyle for like no reason. Like I'm not, <laughs> it's not rational, but like I love him because the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> and I just, I like, I like people, I feel like we kind of see him coming on and I can like feel everybody be like, oh, it's Connor Doyle. But I'm like, I'm like, yes, it's Connor Doyle. He's going to like do some weird defensive thing. He's going to use a forward or he's going to maybe do something great up top. Who knows? I love him. Well, this I was against do... Montreal. So if he was going to yeah. score a goal, it was going to be in this game. Uh, he, his first two professional goals ever came for DC United against Montreal. And I guess he did the next best thing in this game. He prevented a goal. Exactly. So he, he still had a, a very direct net contribution of plus one goal for DC United. I think there's a lot of people who like don't, who could do without Carter Doyle and like think we could probably just get rid of him. But I, we will keep him forever. I love him. The, the other thing I would add is, is I know there are a lot of people that think mm-hmm. that, but who are you going to add that's going to contribute more at that age, at that price point? Um, a lot of teams have some guy on their roster that's a forward that is less good than Connor Doyle. Um, so, so it's one of those things where the, the grass might, for, for United fans, the grass might seem greener, but it, it really isn't. Um, once you get to see some of these guys playing, whether they're on USL loan or whatever, you start to realize that, you, you know, Doyle would be an improvement for those teams. Um, uh, so that's that's a positive. It's it's good to have a guy that um, brings energy off the bench. He's he's got decent quickness. I I thought in the the two games so far at home, he looks a little more confident. Um, mm-hmm. He's trying some things that I know 
the first pass I remember him making from this weekend's game was a turnover, but it was a pass he never would have attempted last year. He was trying to pass the ball into the box to create a real threat. He gave the ball away, but um, it was a risk that you want an attacking player to make um, in the attacking third when you're trying to kill a game off by scoring a goal. That's not that's what we want to see. You know, you know, given the choice, all of us would rather see the team end the game by scoring a second goal rather than just sort of grinding it out and having nothing happen. Um, so I think he looks a little better. Maybe last last year didn't really go well for Connor Doyle, despite the fact that it well went well for the rest of the team. Maybe you know turning over a new leaf and still having the you know he still knows that the the coaching staff's going to put him in games sometimes. He, he, they didn't give up on him after last year, and that maybe, maybe I'm just you know speculating on the mindset of Connor Doyle. I don't know that much about him other than that he loves Settlers of Catan and is from Texas. Um, he also loves Taylor Swift apparently. Yes, well, and and I don't want to. Seems to be common among the young guys on DC yes. United. But uh, but you know he he looks like he's improved. He's made some sort of step forward, whether it's a long-term improvement or if it's just a more confident player showing what confidence can do, I don't know, but hopefully it's a long-term improvement because, you know, he's, it's not like he's getting injury time uh, substitutions. He's playing 20, 25 minutes. That's a significant chunk of the game. So um, hopefully he keeps coming in and keeps doing, doing what coaches ask and um, providing a, a little, He's a little bit of an odd player for when compared to the rest of the roster, so it's it's nice of a, it's a nice change of pace, I guess. And he and he's still only twenty three, so he still has time to improve. Yes, yes. If he was a, if he had never played for Darby County, he would be a second year professional right now. Right. Just count Dar- Darby County bad. was basically his college experience. Yeah. And a, and better than God. What an awful place to go to college. I know. And basically better than. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking about what I know about Darby and. Wow, that's a bad place to go. Still, that's a better experience than any American college, soccer wise. Soccer wise, yes. Life experience wise, well, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, I lied. One more thing I want to mention before we turn our attention to the women's national team, and that is Miguel Aguilar, who made his MLS debut by basically uh, going and one mixtape on some Montreal players and getting knocked over for his trouble and then still managing to keep the ball despite the fact that he got knocked over two or three times. It's uh, It was a really nice showing to see a rookie midfielder come on and, and basically go at people and then keep the ball and, and make defensive plays at the other end of the field. It was a great debut for Miguel Aguilar, even if he didn't have a ridiculous left-footed Galazzo like he did in Austin. Uh to help us get to the armadillo, which is also legendary in its own way. Armando. On to the U.S. women's national team, who have advanced today to the Algarve Cup final after a less-than-awe-inspiring performance in the group stage. We will talk more about that. Um, Before that, though, let's get some background on this tournament that none of us seem to know how to pronounce Leanne, what is the story behind the Algarve Cup? What role does it play, especially in this year, as a, a lead into the Women's World Cup? Is it basically a tune-up at this point? Yeah, it kind of is. You've got kind of some of the best women's teams in the world come to this tournament. It's a friendly tournament. There's no armadillo at the end, sadly. But um, it is friendly, but it's, it is. It's a tune-up you know, for the World Cup, especially this year. We've only got a couple of months left to the World Cup. 
um, you're testing yourself against some of the best women's teams in the world. Um, I think for the U.S., this is a chance to hopefully work out their lineup. Don't know that they've actually done that, but that would have been nice if they had, like, maybe done that. Um, but, yeah, it's friendly, but it's, you know, it's still competitive. I think there was an article in the New York Times about what it means for Portugal, and they basically called it their World Cup. So it's it's friendly, but it's not that friendly. All right, the U.S. could apparently use the tune-up, so it's it's good that they are <laughs> in this tournament. Um, so far in their three group stage games, they've not scored in the first half. Uh, they they managed to win the first two games, but then drew in a scoreless draw against Iceland today, um, which was still good enough to advance to the final. Leanne, was was this? A, a second choice lineup knowing that all they needed was a scoreless draw to advance or was this the disappointing performance because Iceland is not a particularly good team they're they're a fine team but they're not a they're not a top level team even Iceland thinks that they're not a good team yeah their coach threw some serious shade after the game <laughs> yeah he basically said I would expect the US to do way better than that they should trash us I think he said trash. I think he said trash. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't happen. I think, you know, I think the lineup, first of all, I like never predicting a U.S. lineup again because I get it like terribly wrong every time. I think I'm just going to replace that part of the game threads with like something else. Um, <laughs> just, just put just put 11 Jill Ellis's as your lineup. It'll be I'm gonna just be like, as right. It's going to be like Abby Wambach, center back. I was like, I don't know. And do it. Do it. For the final, do tall. exactly that. Do um, she's good at but, hitting. Yeah, she's good at hitting. Solo is going to be like lone striker. Um, but yes, I think it was probably a second choice lineup. I guess she was thinking that she could rest some people, um, assuming they were going to make it to the final. Which, okay, you're assuming something, but it's probably a pretty safe assumption. I I kind of thought that she would start Christy Rampone. She was added to the roster after. Um, she had suffered a back injury, and she's back to fitness. I thought she would maybe start her to get her ready for the final. That didn't happen. Didn't start Carly Lloyd, who I thought was, like, a lock. Um, basically, made some weird, weird choices. But, and it, I mean, we didn't lose, I guess. We still made it to the final, so. Oh, well. <laughs> and, and, and in the final, the U.S. will play France, who have looked the much stronger team so far. I meant... Um, any anything to look out for in that final? When is that final happening? I didn't. I should have looked it up beforehand, but clearly that, I, yes. I didn't prep enough. Well, luckily I looked it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> it is Wednesday at noon on Fox Sports One, I believe. All right, and presumably also on Fox Soccer to go for those of you stuck at work. Fox Soccer Go, not Fox, not Fox Soccer Two Go. Those are two different services. No, 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 it's Two Go. Is it? It's, it's Fox Two Go. Fox Soccer Two Go and then Fox Sports Go. Fox Sports Go. But yes. I don't think it's Fox Soccer Two Go. I think it's only Fox Sports Go. The last time I saw it, it was still Two Go inexplicably. Okay. It, I, think, I don't know. I think Third Fox base. Has different, two different uh, naming structures that neither of which really make sense and are both technically all one word. None of the other games have been on Fox Soccer to Go. They've only been on Fox Sports Go. They've been on the one that you don't need to pay extra for. There's one that you oh, get if nice. you have a cable subscription, and then there's one that you have to pay extra for. Right. right. But since I'm on Verizon, I don't get. The free, oh, that I don't sounds get, like a personal problem. I don't have the free yeah, I, yeah, I'm on I'm on Verizon and I get a 
I get all kinds of fox things. You get foxes, you I... get goats, you get mallards. It's all great. Uh, no, no mallards that I know of. Um, but if if I, I I'm not I, I'm right now probably within a mile of a fox. So at this point, so we my, all know so that, that Jill Ellis. I've seen a live yeah. fox in Richmond. There, there is... You guys aren't even letting me even have the what pretense the of being a show. Ding 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 oh, ding ding. <laughs> this is so much worse <laughs> than I ever could have imagined. Should we switch to foxes instead of goats now? Adam, did you think did you think Leanne was going to join your side on the on uh, the podcast? <laughs> you were wrong. I love no. animals. <laughs> You're never going to get any help. Always going <laughs> to you guys are a bunch of Jill Ellis's to me. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Leanne's the only one with the dignity to mock indignation there. I'm very offended. <laughs> I'm very offended. Adam, you're the Jurgen Klinsman of our podcast. Well, that's actually my next question is... Number one, Ben, you're a jerk. Number two, <laughs> number two, Jill Ellis has obviously made a lot of confusing and unorthodox choices in her lineups for the U.S. Women's National Team, and it's it's been a pattern for the year that she's been in charge. Um, so my question, guys, is who is worse, Jill Ellis or Jurgen Klinsmann, as far as who 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 is least who are you less likely to understand? That's that's a tough one. Um, I think in terms of lineups, in terms of the lineups that are put on the field, I think it has to be Ellis that's less reasonable because the team is crying out for certain things and those players exist and it's very obvious to everyone that they exist except she will not play them. She will not play a defensive midfielder. Um, she will use Abby Wambach in the midfield. Um, she'll do all kinds of things that just don't really make any sense. Um, and meanwhile, a lot of players that played well in uh, last year in the NWSL didn't, are either they get called in and do not get to play, or they just don't get called in at all. Um, and it makes you wonder what she's even looking for out of a soccer team. If she even uh, fully grasped what soccer is supposed to like what's supposed to happen in a soccer game? Um, it almost looks like she has a slightly skewed perspective on that, and it's it's coming through in every single lineup. Of watching Lauren Holiday not get to play as a number ten, um, it's just it's like a form of torture um, because this team has such good strikers that if you give them a supply line, uh, it's going to, it's going to cover for a lot of the issues the team the, the team has that can't be covered with player selection. Um, and to, to see that, I mean, if, if we had a Lauren Holiday equivalent on the men's team, we would have a lot, uh, we would have far fewer problems. Um, we don't have that sort of, that level of player does not exist uh, on the men's team that, and Klinsman wouldn't even have, the, hasn't even had the chance to misuse that kind of player, I guess. <laughs> um, so, so I guess in terms of, it's just a, you know, Ellis has one of the best rosters possible at her disposal, and she's still misusing it. Whereas Klinsman, when he makes mistakes, it's like, well, even if he hadn't made the mistake, you know, the, the roster is, you know, it's not top tier. It's not an elite group of players. So, you know, we wouldn't, even if we had gotten it right, it still would have been a dicey proposition to succeed. Ellis doesn't have that excuse built in, and she still is making the mistakes. And it's, 
it's it's just a constant source of confusion. But on the other hand, her public statements are less confusing than Klinsman's, which are uh, oftentimes just either intentionally misleading or just um, bizarre and outlandish. Um, and whenever we'll be he's diplomatic and call them enigmatic. Yes, and so at this point, if he says something in public, it's just you—you you almost can't even read into it at all because whatever you're going to read into it is going to be incorrect because that's either what he wants or or there is nothing to read in. That it, you'll get to the bottom and there's just nothing. Yeah, I mean, Klinsman. I think, Klinsman is... I think a lot of times he kind of has these ideas. He's like, "We're gonna play a three-five-two or something," and you like kind of, kind of see like where he's going, and he'll play that, and you kind of understand. And I think Ellis. I don't ever understand what, what she's thinking or what she's trying to do. Well, Klinsman will play a 3-5-2 for 45 minutes. It kind of works. It just needs to be ironed out a little bit, and he just completely ditches it. Well, I right. didn't say it was perfect. Jose Clint- Torres left back. All right, but, but how does that compare to some of the <laughs> some of the women's national team selections of very recent vintage? Oh, I know. I know. I just had to bring up that... Klinsman played Jose Torres as a left back. It's, it's, it's still I think I blocked that out. I I chose not to remember that, Ben. It still doesn't compare to what Jill Ellis does, but I, sometimes the, Jose yeah, Torres for those of you who don't watch back. the women's national team, for those of you who don't watch the women's national team, Jill Ellis makes playing Jose Torres as a left back look pedestrian. Right. <laughs> that is the degree normal, of her. Yeah. Think Michael Bradley playing as a winger. Like an old style winger, not not a modern uh, wide midfielder who comes inside, but like an old school. Chalk, chalk on your boots to use yes, the English like, phrase. Stand out here, like wear wear a, a path into the ground that is right next to the touchline. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what Ellis. Um, it, it reminds me of watching any number of, uh, and I I always do this. Any, any number of games I've been in where it's like a pickup game and you have a bunch of people that want to play one position and you end up with better players just sort of shrugging their shoulders and accepting a role that isn't isn't good for them and some other person's in a spot where they should be. Um, and so you end up with a midfield of, you know, your playmaking number 10 is the uh, alleged uh, defensive midfielder. Um Carly Lloyd is is wide, but then is constantly moving inside because that's where she actually belongs. Um, it, it, it's just I, I don't know. <laughs> I, also, I feel like Carly Watch keeps she kind of what happens is she's playing the wrong position, but then she like scores goals, so it kind of like justifies right. Ellis. And Ellis is like, oh yeah, that's exactly where Carly Lloyd belongs. Right. Not. It, Carly Lloyd is almost like at this point the way she's playing it's almost like Jill Ellis's get out of jail free card because she's. Uh, breaking out of the tactics and succeeding in spite of the role she's been given. Um, and it's not, she's not the kind of player that belongs. She's not, oh, we're going to take the central midfielder and convert her to a wide person. And then she comes inside. That's not what's happening. She's just a person being played out of position. Um, and that is that. Um, she doesn't belong out there. And when she comes inside, it's not because the tactics demanded that. It's because she knows, well, I can score a goal if I come inside. Um, and she's sort of, covering up her goal scoring uh, and her ability to score out of nothing is kind of covering up a lot of the problems with the national team. Um, and it makes me sad because we had a coach in place who was not making these mistakes and he was run out of town. And now coaches Canada. And was trying to integrate young players. This summer is not going to be fun. I, I'm worried about this summer quite a bit, uh, watching the women in the World Cup. I, I, I feel like the, the group is tough. And I feel like problems are on their way. 
They're, they're going to they're going to arrive earlier than people expect, and we already they're going to arrive on Wednesday. Early. Yes. Uh, well, oh we yes. Oh time. God, France. Uh, the the last time the U.S. women played France, uh, the result was much closer on the scoreboard than it deserved to be. Um, it was it was just a gulf in in technique, but also the French looked like their players belonged in the places they were playing, uh, which ma- makes a difference. It turns out. What a weird tactic. Right, we didn't catch a break of like Luisa Nassib playing right back. Um, that didn't happen. It would have been nice uh, if, if both coaches just agreed to randomly assign the positions to players. Like, oh, you're playing in goal today. Like, I'm not a goalkeeper. Like, it doesn't matter. Here are the gloves. You are now. <laughs> yeah. So, Leanne, last thing: Is Jason right? Is is this going to be a rough World Cup? for the US or or is there a chance that in spite of Jill Ellis they they somehow make a run deep into it and, and get to the final? Alright, there's always a chance with the US women. I think it's they're still it's not that they're bad at soccer. It's not like all of a sudden all these players are terrible even though they're not, you know, in the lineup that they should be. I think yeah, there's a chance they could go go deep into the tournament. Sure, there's a chance they could win the tournament. Um, maybe they'll all just get together and like ignore Jill Ellis and play whatever they want. Uh, I mean, that that's what good. Bayern did with when Klinsmann was coaching. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, but you know, I think it's going to be kind of painful. I don't think it's going to be perfect. I don't think it's going to be what maybe we're used to seeing from them in tournaments. Um, and I think maybe a lot of people who don't pay that much attention to the U.S. women otherwise will tune in for this and maybe not be that thrilled. Right. Um, I think Wednesday will be an interesting an interesting test against France. At least it kind of means something. Um, I don't know, man. I think we could do all right. We could do terribly. U.S. women's national team. I don't know, man. That, that's, that, that seems like their marketing campaign, ready-made for this summer's tournament. Let's go now to uh, Twitter box. We have your questions to answer, and Ben has been curating them down to the best few questions. I have so not, I've not been over. curating them. I've been just collecting them. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I tried to make it sound more important than it was. I'm I know, sorry. but uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole thing. There's a whole backstory to the word curate in my professional uh, culture. It, it's giantly yeah, nerdy. Adam. It's giantly nerdy and doesn't deserve mention, so I'm going to stop talking about it now and just read the questions. <laughs> No, tell us more about the theory behind it. Nope. Do not tell us. Wait, can we talk about USL sub rules again? Yes. Damn it. Yes. Uh, Read the question. How about we talk about when the clock counted up instead of down? It does count up. Or down instead of up. Damn it. Okay. (laughs) Going to the first one. You lose. I do. You ruined ruined it. Yes, I did. uh, Both of the (laughs) questions are about uh bench players stealing starter spots on DC United. So here we go. Uh the first one is from Brendan Cartwright on Twitter. And he asks us how long before Miguel Aguilar steals Nick DeLeon's starting spot? And I would just like to say before we kick off a big conversation about this is why is everyone so down on Nick DeLeon? He's really good guys. He really is. Anyways. He had some he had some flashes, I felt like, in the Montreal game where I was like, That's Nikki and then like he would do something else and I'd be like, That's not but Yeah, I uh, think I, we we've talked about this before and I think the issue is that his role on the team changed last year. He's no longer 
the wide midfielder whose role it is to get into the box and overload the left side and score goals. That's the magic His role, yeah, that's right. Chris Rolf's role. His role now is to come inside and do some dirty work, both with the ball and on the defensive side, and make sure we don't get overrun in the midfield and that we actually have a platform for the two forwards and Chris Rolf to get some chances and to create some chances. And, and when it calls for it to be a late runner into the box or to be on the counterattack, that's his role now. It's just, it, I think it's more a tactical choice by Ben Olsen right. to have him helping out with that. Nick DeLeon in the last, he, he has had more of the classic Nick DeLeon taking guys on, uh, running at guys, keeping the ball, getting past them and making a pass afterwards. Um, He's had more of that this year than I think he did for almost all of last year. There were two games last year I can think of when he had classic Nicky moments, and this year he's already had a couple through two games, or three games. So I think we are seeing him finally come to terms with his role and figuring out how to put his stamp on it while still doing the tactical responsibilities. That's a long way around the question of saying, I don't think Aguilar is going to displace Nick DeLeon in the short term. I think if Nikki gets hurt or Rolf gets hurt, I don't want either of those to happen, obviously. I don't. I really, really don't. Um, but until one of them has to come off the field, even if it's for fixture congestion and, and we have to get, we just have to rotate some players. I think that's how Aguilar gets on the field in something other than a substitutes role. I don't think he displaces anybody in the first 11. Yeah, and I think I would add that, uh, Adam, you used the word finally, um, coming to terms. I, w- I would say last year that DeLeon, uh, did a great job in the role he was given. It's just not a glamorous role. Um, and I think, uh, a lot of people who want to see the 2012 goal scorer in Nick DeLeon, but you, you have to realize that if he's making those runs, uh, then we're not balancing the midfield well enough, uh, to allow Chris Rolfe to do what Chris Rolfe does. Um, and right now, with a spindle out, Chris Rolfe is our most important attacking player. Um, so DeLeon's job of ba- helping the midfield maintain that balance where it's not uh, so many players going forward. And, and we actually ran into a little of this uh, against Alapalense where uh, we'd, we'd send four players forward all at once and no one would be underneath. And so the ball, we would end up having our possession break down because everyone was trying to go forward and no one was supporting them. Um, or if the support was too far away. Um, DeLeon's job is is to do the it, the backstage work, so to speak, so that the stars can get on stage and perform. Um, that's his job, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. Um, and Aguilar, uh, obviously, it doesn't take a, a, a long-term cultured soccer mind to see Aguilar is doing some things that are pretty awesome. He's good on the dribble. Uh, he works hard. He's not just an attacking player. You know, we saw him lose the ball a couple times, and his first instinct, and and he succeeded, was to immediately win the ball back, um, which is which is great to see out of a young player. Not just an attacking player shouldn't just be attacking. You have in the modern game, you have to work hard to get the ball back as well, and he's he's doing that pretty well. Um, but he's he can't fill DeLeon's role in terms of supporting the central midfield and supporting the attack. Uh, he's not, he's nowhere near that player. And in fact, there's a reason why Aguilar's appearances at home were both at left midfield rather than on the right. Um, it's because De Leon at this point is, 
sort of irreplaceable. Um, the only person I could think of that Olsen would let play Deleon's specific role on the right would be Davey Arnaud. Um, and since Marcus Halstey is injured right now, that's that option isn't really on the table unless we run a pull um, Arnaud out and Michael Farfan comes in, and then you end up with more of a diamond, and it, it, there's sort of a change in the whole dynamic. Um, Farfan might be able to play De Leon's role, but I think he's, he still wants to get a little higher up the field than De Leon does, and I think that'll take time. Um, but as far as Aguilar versus, Aguilar versus De Leon, I don't think that change is coming anytime soon. Um, and in fact, if people want to see Aguilar on the field, I would say you might want to look at Chris Pontius with Chris Rolfe moving up as the second forward, uh, while a spindle is out. That might be a more likely change um, with Aguilar playing on the left, which it, it looks like he's perfectly comfortable playing out there. It looks like it doesn't really make a difference to him which side he's on. Um, so that might be something we see more, much more quickly, in my opinion, than Dale. I think De Leon is is one of the first names Ben Olson writes down. Um, and I know it's it's not for the stuff that catches the eye immediately, but it's all that other stuff that lets somebody else catch your eye. Um, so. Yeah, it's sort of like um, I've used house metaphors a lot. Um, De Leon's part of the foundation. You know, Chris Rolfe and Fabian Espindola, maybe they um, are the art on the walls or, or what have you, but you got to have a, a, a good structure to build that around, and De Leon's part of the structure at this point. Yeah, I say that. I, I think that's right. And when I say, when I said finally coming to grips with the position, what it what I meant was he's he's kind of turning it more from doing the basics of the position to becoming automatic with the basics of the position and being able to do extra um, in the way that Marcelo Sarvas was able to play for L.A. in the last couple of years. Nick DeLeon is finally able to add that extra element, at least in, in the, the small sample that we have so far this year. He's been able to be a little bit more dangerous, a little more creative in the role, the way Sarvas was for the Galaxy in the last couple of years. And that's a... A, a potentially really big development for both Nicky and and for DC United. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, if if uh, if he if he can make more of an impact going forward while still doing the the fundamental stuff that that's part of that job, then uh, this attack gets a lot more dangerous. And we've seen a couple times this season where um, on the ball he's led the led the charge forward um, on counterattacks, and mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of counterattacking soccer um, without Fabian Espindola. So if he can keep doing that and keep – it's not so much about beating of multiple players, but if he just beats that one player and breaks out of the, the midfield layer and gets into the attacking third, that's a big moment, especially for this team without a spindle on the field because we don't have too many guys that can make that transition from possession to attack. Um, and if he can add to that, if he can you know, help Rolf and not just make it about Chris Rolf has to do all of this on his own um, – while and you know now that Spindle's out, Silva's out, we don't have the option to bypass the midfield uh, to Eddie Johnson. So if if De Leon can be that second player doing that, then that that would be huge for United. So speaking of Marcus Halstey, our second question is about him. Uh, it's another player replacement question. It comes from Don Rankin two seven on the Twitters, and he says, "How long will it take for Marcus Halstey to take Davey Arnaud's spot once healthy?" Well, that's the trick, isn't it? Once healthy. Um, he's going to have to be healthy. He's going to have to be 90 minutes fit. And especially, yeah, especially at, at that point, role, he's, he's got to be he's not... 90 minutes fit. So I don't see it happening until maybe mid-April at the earliest. Yeah, it's it's at least a month after he gets healthy, I think. Yeah. 
before he takes a position. He's going to have to show that he's able to do the same things he was in his early preseason appearances at the spot. He only played, what, two or three games in that position right. in preseason, and they were alongside Davey Arno, not alongside Perry Kitchen. Right. So there's there's a chemistry that he has to develop because DC United plays kind of a this wasn't necessarily the case against Montreal when Davy Arnault was playing much higher up the field than Perry Kitchen. But last year, anyway, they played a pulley system where when Perry Kitchen went forward, Arnault would stay back and vice versa. Um, and that's why Perry Kitchen had career highs and assists and goals and, and all that. So at this, I don't know. I think it's at least a month after, after he's healthy. We'll see him get some substitute appearances and then maybe we'll see him. Uh, replace our no when there's fixture congestion because Perry Kitchen doesn't know what fatigue is, <laughs> basically. So he's going to play 90 minutes even if we have to play three games on three consecutive days, which is not allowed. But if we had to do it, he would be in all three games and he would go 90 minutes in all of them. Um, Robot Perry Kitchen does not know of your human fatigue. That's correct. You know, I told someone, I told like a friend that I was watching an MLS triple header yesterday there were three games, and she thought I meant that DC was playing like three games in a row, and I was like, no, that would be bad. Perry Kitchen played a game before their game and a game after their game on Saturday just because he could. Yeah, he's he was the guy on your on your um, rec league team, your adult league team, who, who shows up for the game before yours and sticks around for the game after because he just right. wants to get another game in. Oh, yeah. And he um, never never takes a sub. He plays the whole game. No, he's he, kind he of annoying. The, he looks for the team that is short players and yeah. joins them because he knows there's no one that's going to take him out. Like, oh, you guys only have nine? Sweet, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Where do you um, need me? I'll go wherever you need me. It, it is. Uh, it's going to be a little while before we get the fixture congestion that might force a um, rotation that hands Halsey 90 minutes. Um, I also wonder. At, at, once May comes around, uh, you know, we're going to be playing midweek almost the entire month, um, thanks to MLS. Uh, but, uh, I, I do wonder how fast he, he earns his spot. Arnaud didn't necessarily do that well in the Champions League, but then, uh, Alaholense was very ruthless in exposing the fact that if you just bypass our central midfield, they can't, um, stop you from playing. Um, Alahonse didn't have a number 10 and they just didn't care. It actually, if anything, it made them better uh, for not play, trying to play through a particular central midfielder. Um, and and I, I was kind of surprised to see Montreal didn't learn from that. They didn't take that lesson at all. Again, we, we already talked about how I should have seen that coming with Frank Lopas. <laughs> um, New York uh, plays a 4-2-3-1. I think they're going to kind of fall into the same trap because they're not going to change formations just for, especially this early in the season, uh, teams don't change formation this early in the season because they're still working on the formation. They're still trying to get that right. Uh, we're not going to see an instance like Portland um, a couple years ago when they changed formation as a one-off because they knew that a 4-4-2 with, with two large strikers would help and it worked like a charm. Um, we're not going to see that against New York, I don't think. I don't, I don't see Jesse Marsh pulling a surprise. Um, but as far as... Uh, Arnaud's performance, I think it does have to be... He, he needs to make a little more of an impact because I think we saw in the preseason that Holstey is a little bit of a better passer than him. Um, he doesn't have to work as hard because he takes up better positions. 
which means that in the moments where you do have to put in the extra work, he's going to have that extra energy. Um, he has a physical advantage in that he's built like a center back, whereas Davy Arnott is built like a, a you know, a, a wiry. Right, he, he's a wiry sort of guy. He's not a big. He's he's still pretty difficult to play against because he's so abrasive. But Halstead doesn't have to have that attitude. Um, and and give you he doesn't have to pour his entire soul into the game to stand up to you physically because he's a big strong guy. Uh, he's not immobile. I, I we had heard before he came over that he was a little slow. I didn't really see that in the preseason. He looked to be uh, a little quicker than I was expecting. Um, not to say that he's fast or anything, but he's definitely faster than the you know the the, the marketing so to speak was. Um, if he if he is fit to play ninety, um, then I, I think it could be mid April. Um, I think Ben might have been might have hit that on the nose. Um, whether it's at Houston or home against Houston or away against Vancouver towards the end of the month, um, it could be somewhere in there. Um, but he is going to be pushing for time. He wasn't brought in to support the central midfield. He was brought in to take over the starting job. And I I don't think a guy that was so important to a Champions League team in Europe is just going to um, want to say, oh, well, I'll just uh, I'll make sure I'm 90 minutes fit two or three times over, and then I can finally start to push forward. I, I think as soon as he's cleared to train, he's going to be looking to win a starting job because he seems like that kind of character where it's not about um, he doesn't like his teammates or anything, but he wants to be on the field because he thinks he that's the job, um, and he and he probably knows he can contribute. He seems like a smart guy, and I think. Um, we're going to see him pushing as hard as he can to get on the field. So if Davy Arnold keeps him out, that means Davy Arnold is playing really well because Halstead, uh, in the preseason, I thought he showed every, everything that we were supposed to expect from him was there, and then also he was a little faster than we were told. So um, I look forward to his recovery, but I, if Davy Arnold keeps the job, then that's fantastic for United because that means Davy Arnold is playing really, really well. Davy Arnold does not have a headband, though. That's, that's that's true. Halstead so would and he would and double our headband long, quotient, and it would take a long time for him to get to a point where he could have a headband. Um, <laughs> that's not a that's not a matter of weeks. That would be a months long project. A year, pr- probably all season. Probably yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how fast his hair grows. Advantage Halstead. He maybe he'll have one by the end of the season, like going in the playoffs, and everyone will yeah. just have a headband. That'd well, be awesome. Headband. We could be the first team that had a playoff headband. Yeah. Uh, team-wide movement going. I would be into that. I, I, I really hope someone on the team is listening to this. I would really, that would be a fantastic would, marketing effort. I would really love to see either Perry Kitchen or Bill Hamid with enough hair to have a headband. <laughs> see, that's what I was going to. I was going to ask is, um, what if Davey Arnold just started wearing a headband with his current hair? Um, I mean, where it's, it's, like, like it the, clearly does not accomplish anything. It's pointless. All right, so but so here's what I'm here's what I'm saying. Davy Arnaud gets poked in the eye in training, and starts wearing goggles, and then starts wearing a headband over it, and he just goes full Horace Grant. <laughs> so you're saying he wears all of the head attachments you could wear, um, other than braces? Yes. Okay, so so he's well, putting I, on I'm just the picturing like, 1990s NBA, okay. Horace Grant style. Look for Davy Arno. I think that would be outstanding. I think that would just be that'd be my new everything. I think it would bother me if somebody was wearing a headband that just did, clearly didn't need one. Like it's one thing if it was like you on the get sweaty out there, man. You get really sweaty. I'm, I mean, like an '80s style 
thick. No, but headband. but the headband the headband we've got going on the team is essentially a lace. It's not keeping sweat out of your face. Chris this isn't, uh, does not need a headband. I have thought this little, the beginning, and it's still true. I, I, I don't little, want him to get rid of it, but he does not need it. No, but his hair. I can see his hair getting into his eyes occasionally, and that bothering him. Um. This isn't like an Abdul Thompson Conte to, to go way back to the early 2000s. Uh, Abdul Thompson Conte had a completely shaved head and wore a headband anyway, but he had a thick, um, sweat collecting headband. That was what it was there for. Whereas, uh, that's Ross, what I'm talking about for Davy Arnaud because right. that's what Horace Grant wore. I just want Horace Grant's look to come back. That's all. That, that's what I want. No, I, I want to. I want to see Perry Kitchen with a headband designed to keep his hair out of his eyes, even though it won't for the next two years. Even if he didn't so, get so you want him to get like a single thread off of like, a spool for stitching yes. and tie that? Because that, that would do the job, but also nothing would do the job. I think I would be bothered by the superfluous nature of all of these headbands. I, I think it would, it would Clearly. I'd be into it. Hashtag headband watch. <laughs> all I'm saying is if you're going to wear a headband, have the hair that, that backs it up. Like I, I guess it's a uh, Rolf's hair length is the length you need to board this particular ride at the amusement park. I still think he doesn't need it. No, but, but I'm, if anyone goes shorter than that, clearly they don't need it. Yeah, I think we oh, can yeah. agree on that. And you know who is... did need it yesterday was Mick's disgruid, but he didn't have one. He didn't have one, and he actually well, fixed his a, hair not whole, two seconds before scoring his goal. There's a whole branding thing with that, though. He's got to live up to the the aura of Mick's disgruid. Well, his hair kind of perfectly stays tucked behind his ears. I don't really understand how that works, because, like, I also have curly hair, and, like, that does not happen. But it just, like, stays perfectly tucked behind his ears. If everywhere you ran, Careless Whisper played That's, out yeah, of just true. the ether, your hair have, would stay perfect, yeah. too. He's, he's a head and shoulders commercial. He really is a hair commercial come to life. I don't know how there isn't a shampoo maker that isn't already... Heavily invested, not just invested, but heavily invested. Like mixed disc group should be on shampoo bottles, I, or conditioner I would bottles, buy that or, or both, or all of them. Whatever hair products you have. Uh, I mean, I, I shave my own head with clippers, so clearly this is not something that I know a lot about. But uh, <laughs> I assume I go through the, I go to the store and I see the entire aisle of hair care products. Mixed disc group should be on every single bottle, multiple. Bottles. I would buy mixed disc root endorsed. Products. I would like to have mixed disgruised hair. I'm just. Who wouldn't? Who? I don't want long hair, but if, if that was the option, if that was going to happen, if I grew it out, I would be like, right, you know, this sounds kind of interesting. I know it wouldn't. I just I know sort of I would like, not end up with disgruised hair if someone, I grew it out, so I'm not going to. Someone yesterday I was watching the game with said, because there was Grab-A-Boy and then there was Mixed Disgruid, and somebody was like, they kind of look like a kind of before and after commercial, like you have Grab-A-Boy, and then, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Then you, you go to Mix and you're like, oh, that's like, yeah. That's, that's fair. So one of those players, one of those players does not really need to have long hair. Whereas this crude, I mean, if he didn't have long hair, it would be, I don't know, it would be chaos. You're welcome for this diversion. Yeah, this is <laughs> filibuster, the personal grooming cast. This is what happens when I'm on the podcast. And, uh, and I'll go one further. If there's before and after with those two, then Thomas McNamara is what happens when mixed mixed discrude, uh is like a human exclamation point. But what happens? He's the end of the sentence because McNamara is clearly the best player on New York City FC, even when Frank Lampard comes. And we are not going to let this go at any point this year. No, where, no. Where, where does Pablo Mastroeni fit in this? Uh, oh. If if his team were well coached, uh, I would be much more enthusiastic about it. His facial hair is totally awesome, 
but his coaching is like the opposite of his facial hair. Uh, it's it's very depressing to watch Dylan Powers have to play right midfield, um, or for them to sign all of those talented midfielders and then play only two of them at a time. It, it's just a nonsense situation. I'll and, be writing. I'm actually going to be writing about Colorado on the site uh, this week since we don't have a game to scout. I'm going to include them in a thing I'm planning on, but it will not be about Paolo Mastroeni's amazing facial hair. I'll I'll write that one. Yes. There we go. <laughs> And this is how things, you, you guys have a peek behind the curtain now to the inner workings of Black and Red United. This is, this is really how, this really is how things work on the site. Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com, um, where we will apparently have more features on facial hair coming up in the near future. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud, uh, but mostly when you are uh, on the bus up to Jersey for the road trip for the game at the Red Bulls, which is the next game, uh, when you are tailgating before the Galaxy match, when you're at a bar watching whatever game, tell a friend about us. That is really where we grow our numbers. So for Jason, Ben, and Leanne, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Thomas McNamara.